Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Tracy Murda on behalf of Richard Jacobs here at Future Tech Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to welcome a special guest, Carl Schmieder of Messaging Lab, CEO and co-founder. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And Carl, also, I I do want to make note and mention that you also co-authored a book recently. Um, Can you tell me the name of that? Sure. The book is called What's Your Biostrategy? And the subtitle is How to Prepare Your Business for the Age of Synthetic Biology. I love it. Well, I definitely want to get into that as well. But let's start off first with um, tell me a little bit about Messaging Lab. What is it and what is it that you all do and, and kind of are focused on doing? So Messaging Lab is a strategy and communications consulting firm that focuses on helping life sciences companies tell their story, whether that is through marketing, public relations, Uh, Sometimes it's investor relations, but it really comes down to translating a science story uh, into a way that uh, people can understand it. So complicated science, simple storytelling. And increasingly what we're doing is, uh, especially through the book, is finding ourselves talking to non-scientists who are interested in learning about synthetic biology, biotechnology, engineered biology, which are all basically the same thing and uh, how it might impact their business, which is the the reason why we ended up writing the book. So tell me a little bit more about these non-scientists. What is it that they're they're looking for? So uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. So for example, it would be a company that maybe has a product on the market. Uh, it could be anything they're manufacturing and they're looking to differentiate themselves in a way. And one of the ways they can differentiate themselves is by using biology to manufacture uh, part of their product or or an entire product. That's one way that they can secure their supply chain if they're dependent on any kind of commodity product. Or it can be a way of telling a different story to their consumers around sustainability. Um, Another example would be a company that maybe thought about doing uh, biotechnology but doesn't really know where they should get started you know, or why they need to have a bio strategy, which is something we can talk about, and um, helping them understand that, you know, this stuff in in biotech is not science fiction. It's happening right now. 
Uh, biotechnology comprises nearly 3% of the U.S. economy's uh, GDP at this point, and it's only going to continue to grow. So it's something that basically impacts all of us every day, but most people don't even realize that they're you know, being touched by or are touching things that have either been produced by or used biotechnology to be manufactured. So, Carl, what did you get involved in this space? Give me a little bit of background on kind of what led you here. So I have a little bit of an unusual background in that I'm trained as a scientist, uh, biochemist. I have a master's degree in biochemistry, and um, I got really interested in biotech uh, as I was going through college, but I never really felt that I was going to be working on the bench, and I didn't really know what an entrepreneur was um, or, or what it meant to start a company, and um, that would come many years later, but while I was doing my master's degree in um, in uh, biochemistry, I got very interested in this new field of biotechnology. And there was a lot of uh, kind of startups that were were being, companies were being founded, mostly on the medical side, that there were applications in agriculture. And I really was interested in writing and being a communicator. So I went back to school after a few years and got a degree in creative writing. And while I was doing that degree, I got a job at a public relations firm where I suddenly saw that I could marry the two fields together and that there was a need for someone who could translate science into something that people could understand. And so after working at a couple of public relations firm and doing some digital marketing, I started my own company, went into a couple of startups where I joined at a you know, as a strategist or as a marketing guy, and then eventually restarted the company just like three or four years ago and have really seen a transformation in the way that biology, biotechnology is being used and the applications are just continuing to grow. So who would you say is there a certain demographic, a certain, you know, user type of user that is, is looking at the programs that you create to use, or is it just kind of this can apply to anyone's business? Um, well, if you try to apply something to anyone, it really applies to no one, right? Um, so the, the companies I tend to work with uh, tend to be either established biotech companies. I, I work with some startups as well. Um, they are very much of interest to me and, uh, and the people that I work with. Um, Funded startups are, are you know, very much in need of the service of helping to get their, their message out to the right audiences. And then, like I said, now we're doing a little bit of work, a little more work with companies that are um, established and are just looking for ways to apply biotech to their business. And since the goal of synthetic biology is to make uh, biology easier to engineer, it's something that really any business can apply. But we've been talking to consumer goods companies. Um, we've also been talking to some manufacturers. Um, there's a kind of a renaissance happening right now in the material space where people are using biology to manufacture things. Um, there's some really interesting developments in that space that have been in the news lately. Uh, printed leather is one. Um, I'm based in Brooklyn. We've got uh, one of the, the biggest printed leather company. Uh, Modern Meadow is here. And then there's a, three companies that do uh, brewed spider silk, where they've basically taken yeast and re-engineered it to produce the proteins that makes uh, that the same proteins that spiders use to make their silk or to make their webs. Wow! And they're able to produce that on a mass scale, 
And um, one of those companies, Bolt Threads, just uh, announced that they had received, a, 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 I think, $100 million in funding just over the last couple of weeks. So there's a lot of interesting things happening uh, in the biomaterial space. And then there's the, this idea of biofabrication, where you use biology to make things. And I use the analogy of, of breweries because people tend to understand what a brewery does. You're taking a couple of ingredients that maybe don't have a lot of value, and then you're creating beer, which is a much higher value. If you can take that same idea and maybe you, instead of using a plain yeast, you use a genetically modified yeast, all of a sudden you can take that infrastructure and create something that is much more valuable. Of course, it's not as simple as doing the same thing as brewing. Industrial biotechnology requires a little bit more production skills, but that analogy is something that people tend to understand. Oh, if we took the brewery and we had a different kind of yeast, oh, maybe we can produce spider silk proteins. Um, I know that's a proprietary technology, but that idea kind of gets people thinking and it gets them interested in learning more. So if you can, without getting, you know, maybe too technical for our our average listeners here, Talk to me a little bit more about the the services that Messaging Lab offers and how it actually works. Um, you talked about some of the use cases. If you can kind of just get a little bit more in, in depth without, you know, going over way over right <laughs> That would no, be great, I'm, I think. Yeah, I mean, what I think what, you know, what Messaging Lab does is help translate the science into something that people can understand. Mm-hmm. So... It starts out with coming up with a strategy. Who's the audience that you're trying to reach? What kind of messages might resonate with them? It's a lot of uh, strategic thinking and brainstorming, and then it can be copywriting. And then it really you know, bleeds into what kind of marketing program do you want to have um, to reach that audience. But we always start out with strategy. And you know, this idea of biostrategy is a new offering for us, and that's where we say, what kind of strategy are you going to use to apply biology to your business? And we typically start that off by thinking about a problem that a company has and figuring out what are the tools or what are the resources they can tap into because they don't, it's not the same as it used to be where you had to build a lab and maybe invest millions of dollars in scientists. These days are the, you know, these are the days of outsourcing. We're at the beginning of, kind of biology as a service where you're able to outsource a lot of the manufacturing that you might want to do to companies that are able to create organisms or help you scale up production of an organism. But really thinking through strategically what that looks like. So that's part of the thing. That's one of the really important points of the book is you need to have a biostrategy. You need to be looking at biology as something that your business needs to incorporate and how what are the tools that you can use to make that happen. So tell me about the book a little bit more. What prompted you to decide that you you needed to do this, needed to write the book? So what what has what prompted us? So my, my co-author is a guy named John Cumbers, and John runs a conference called SymbioBeta, which is one of the biggest conferences for the synthetic biology community. And like I said earlier, the idea behind synthetic biology is we're making biology easier to engineer and making it more predictable, more measurable. Um, because a lot of biotechnology, especially the people in the synthetic biology field, think about it as being something that was done on an artisanal basis 
Whereas, and, and had to be done by people who are very technical, working at the level of DNA, um, which is a little hard to understand. I mean, when we use a computer analogy, no one programs computers on the level of ones and zeros. You have different kinds of programming languages that sit on top of that that make the interaction with a, an electrical circuit possible. And in biotech, we're still doing a lot of work at that DNA level, and you know, which is analogous to working with that machine language. So what we noticed is that people were saying things like, you know, what's your digital strategy? I heard a lot of that, you know, going through a, a digital, you know, branding startup. Then you'd hear people saying, what's your AI strategy? What's your robotic strategy? What's your big data strategy? And no one ever was ever saying, what's your, what's your bio strategy? And yet, this is supposed to be the biotech century. Yeah, we're only 17 years into it, but as I said earlier, you know, biotech already comprises about 3% of the US GDP. And it's one of those areas where people really don't understand what's happening. They don't understand that their lives are being touched by this every day. And they don't probably even realize that, that this is something that that engineered biology or synthetic biology could be part of what they what they use in their innovation palette. And actually, at the beginning of writing the book, I ended up going out and talking to innovation consultants at different firms, and I would talk about synthetic biology, and they would often say, yeah, that's not something we have to worry about for you know five to eight years, maybe 10 years. And even the ones who had attended something like Singularity University, which has a big emphasis on synthetic biology, would still say, that's not really something that we need to bring up with our clients because it's not real. It's not, you know, it's so far in the future, we don't need to think about it. We're worried about mm -hmm. big data. We're worried about AI. And then you start to bring them examples. And, you know, like I said, the, you know, the, the printed leather, the spider silk, and then kind of things that are happening to accelerate the development of medicines using synthetic biology some of the biocircuit uh, programming that's starting to happen. And then their ears would perk up and they'd want to know more because they want to be able to talk to their clients about that. So what we did was with that in mind, we went out and we interviewed 25 of the people who are really leading the field, defining it, have started companies and got some really good insight in terms of where the field is, where, is it's, going, where it's going and why businesses need to be thinking about it. Now, is there anything else that uh, Messaging Lab is coming up with or coming out with or anything you can talk about that our listeners might be interested in? Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you know, it's uh, I'm out doing a lot of talking around the book and in biostrategy and why mm -hmm. people need to be focused on biostrategy. With Messaging Lab, I have a number of different clients that I'm working with. And so I'd rather, sure. you know, less emphasize that than, than really stay focused on the book. Absolutely. And where is the book available, Carl? So the book's available on Amazon. Um, uh, as of now, we just printed it in, or we just published, it was just published in, um, in November and uh, at the beginning of the month. And um, so, yeah, so now it's, it's available on, on Amazon. And then we also have, uh, we, we run a blog on what's your biostrategy.com, all one word where you can, you know, read blog posts and, and we're, you know, doing some follow-up on uh, on on the book and and also just kind of expanding the ideas that are out there that we're presenting in the book. 
And are there any plans in the works? I know it's a little early for a second book, perhaps down the line. Yeah, for sure. Um, the book is, tends to be a little bit U.S. centric. There is a couple of high level uh, speakers from the U.K., the guys who are working on the United Kingdom's uh, synthetic biology blueprint. Um, that's actually something that exists. It exists here in the United States as well. And, um, you know, we have two people from France as well. Uh, DNA synthesis company here in the United States is founded by a French woman. And then there's also an enzymologist who's, uh, his name is Pierre Monsan, who's very involved in um, synthetic biology in France. But we'd like to expand it because this field is growing at a tremendous pace, especially in China. And it'd be good to see, for, for especially for people in the United States, to kind of get a better sense as to how serious the Chinese are taking this field and how much money they're pouring into it. And when it comes to the book, you mentioned it's sort of a way to translate all of this for maybe like the layperson, such as myself, and kind of put it into context where anyone can understand it. Is that an accurate portrayal? Yeah, it's it really is designed to kind of uh, help someone who doesn't understand the field mm-hmm. uh, better understand it. How does this technology relate to Bitcoin, blockchain, et cetera, if at all? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I personally haven't been involved in any blockchain-related projects, but I've been following the field from the beginning and following it pretty closely. And um, there's a couple of things that are that are interesting that could be interested interesting to anybody, you know, any listener who's you know, focus on on blockchain. So first, earlier this year, there's a synthetic biology company called Pembient, and they issued Pembicoin. So they did an ICO. And Pembient's a synthetic biology company that's focused on developing animal-free horn. So they do a combination of genetic engineering and 3D printing. And they started the company to address this issue of elephants and rhinos being hunted and their horns being cut off for medicine. And the way I remember it is their product is actually certified by Chinese uh, physicians, traditional Chinese physicians, as being equivalent to what you would get if you were to go out and kill a black rhino. So um, a friend of mine who's a writer, Max Chasco, he had written that this was the most uh, 2017 headline he had read was when Pembient uh, you know, did their ICO, which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting. Mm-hmm. A kind of a second um, uh, thing that's been talked about with blockchain has been creating a registry of genetically modified organisms. So this doesn't currently exist, but it's something that people in the field are talking about. And the idea is that as more organisms are created and are put into the environment, there should be a way of tracking them. So if you think back to, there's a scene in the original Blade Runner where Deckard, uh, the main character, is trying to identify what he thinks is a fish scale. And so he goes to the street market and this vendor puts it under an electron microscope and she says to him, oh, no, that's not fish, that's snake. But biologically, uh, being able to put a number onto something is something that would be very difficult to do. Um, and, and they actually kind of continue this idea in the new Blade Runner, uh, though the marking is on the eye. And actually what's been done in real life in current day is that um, people have been using DNA and creating kind of barcodes uh, that they embed into an organism. 
And the first people to do this were uh, the, a team at the J.C. Venter Institute. And Craig Venter is one of the guys who um, was one of the first to sequence the human genome. He was he had a private company that was going up against the, the U.S. government. And they created a synthetic organism based on uh, one of the smallest bacteria that lives on our body. And they embedded a sequence, a non-coding sequence. That means a sequence that doesn't code for a protein, but that actually identified the authors and also had some quotes uh, from various works of literature. Last year, a company called Gen9, which was a DNA synthesis company that got bought by another company called Ginkgo Bioworks. Um, so Gen9, along with Autodesk, the computer-aided design company, and Auburn University created the world's largest synthetic virus. And that virus was used, uh, or is being tested to, um, to treat dog bone cancer, so canine uh, bone cancer. And that synthetic virus, um, initially, it, it was based on a virus that a researcher had put together to treat dog bone cancer. And then Gen9, along with Autodesk, came up uh, with a synthetic version, meaning that they, they manufactured it using DNA printing tools. And um, they embedded also a sequence in it that also had the manufacturing date of the virus, as well as the names of the manufacturers, so the three, co the two companies and the university. So it would make sense that eventually over time, there would be some kind of registry that, you know, blockchain-based registry where people could look up organisms. So if you could imagine someone comes into the hospital with an unidentified illness, one of the things that doctors could do would be to sequence their DNA and specifically look for these kind of uh, identifiers in their DNA that maybe would indicate that the you know that there's a that they're they've been exposed to or are ill based on something that's been manufactured as opposed to something that's in nature. I, I was just going to say that's absolutely fascinating, and, and just as you said it, I was thinking, wow, yeah, I can't believe it hasn't been attacked yet. It, it shows up actually uh, again like that idea of a DNA barcode, but actually embedded in organisms. DNA shows up in the TV series Orphan Black, and there's kind of a revelation. I don't know exactly what season or what episode. I think the Orphan Black fans, you know, could, could point could point listeners to it. But um, where the where the women realize that the sequence says that they're, you know, actually there was a patent issued for the organism, meaning these women who are all clones, and um, you know, and that the you know that that all rights revert back to the company. So it's got like this legal language embedded in their DNA sequences. So I think that's something that we, you know, could eventually see something like that, not necessarily, you know, all rights reserved, but at least this idea of having a sequence that codes for manufacturers information. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, for more information, both on the book as well as uh, on the company messaging lab, where should people go for uh, information? I know you okay, mentioned so, Amazon. The book is there. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about the book and read, you know, excerpts, I point people to whatsyourbiostrategy.com. That's all one word. Um, the book is available on Amazon. So if you look up What's Your Biostrategy on Amazon, you'll find it there as well. And then for information on Messaging Lab, you can just go to messaginglab.com or follow me on Twitter. 
Um, my name is Carl Schmieder, so at Carl Schmieder is uh, where you'll find me. I love it. Carl, I thank you so much for your time. And again, for our listeners, this is the uh, founder of Messaging Lab, as well as the co-author of What's Your Bio Strategy. We look forward to seeing uh, where this all goes for you, and please come back and join us and let us know how your blockchain developments run down the line. Thanks a lot. Bye. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.